And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to Echoes of Calvary, brought to you by Calvary Bible Church. Today, Pastor Elliot begins to preach one of the very most important chapters in the Bible. Please be sure to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Listen closely for the explanation of two key concepts. The concept of being in Christ and the concept of sin. Sin being the root of sins. And now, with his message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott. This morning, we are in one of the most important chapters in Scripture. We are in Romans 6. By way of review... Justification is God's work of declaring sinners righteous because of Christ. Sanctification is God's work of setting believers in Jesus apart for his own possession and use. You might look at sanctification, God's work of setting you apart for his own possession and use, like the farm brothers who came in from haying on a hot summer day to the kitchen table of the farmhouse. Much to their pleasure, they saw their mother had baked a delicious, fresh cherry pie for lunchtime's dessert. There she had sliced it, but in her human error, she had sliced one slice considerably bigger than the rest. And so the one brother, who was a man of foresight, stuck his dirty old index finger in the biggest piece of the pie. (laughs) He marked it for his own possession in use. Sanctification, believer, is God's extraordinary work of grace to set you apart from the world, even apart from yourself. God's incredible work of setting you as a believer apart for his possession and for his use. Being in Christ, in Christ, is a huge part of God's justification of you. And being in Christ is also a huge part of God's sanctification of you. A key verse to understand this process of how crucial it is to be in Christ is Galatians 2.20. Hold your place in Romans 6, would you? And go over to Galatians Galatians 2, verse 20. It's a very uh, thought-provoking verse about being in Christ. Galatians 2.20, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Wait a minute, Paul. You were physically alive when the Holy Spirit moved you to write Galatians 2.20, and yet you wrote, I have been crucified. How does that work? Because Paul, as well as you, believer, was placed into Christ at conversion by the Spirit of God, and whatever happened to Jesus happened to you because you're in Christ. Jesus was crucified. In Christ, you've been crucified. And the life that Paul then lived was by faith in the Son of God who loved Paul and gave himself 
for Paul. And so this concept of being in Christ is huge. When it comes to God declaring you innocent through Christ, that's justification. And being in Christ is equally huge in the work of God to set you apart for his own possession and use. In Christ is a huge thing. Now, in our passage this morning, Romans 6, 1 to 14, in Christ, that phrase only appears in verse 11. But in this same passage, into Christ is mentioned in verse 3, and with him is mentioned in verses 4, 5, 6, and 8. Plus, with Christ in this passage appears in verse 8. So watch my hand. If this is Christ, and this is you, believer, when you transferred your trust to the finished work of Christ and were born again, the Spirit of God placed you into Christ. He also placed you into the family of believers called the incredible body of Christ. And whatever happened to Jesus now is your past. Jesus Christ was crucified. Watch. The old you was crucified. Jesus Christ was buried. The old you was buried. Jesus Christ was raised to newness of life. You've been raised to newness of life if you're a Christian. And the newness of life is Christ's life. Christ is your Lord, your Savior, and your life. Now we're going to read our passage. Romans 6, starting at verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, so we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never again to die. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What a passage. At the front door of this passage, we need to point out three preliminary understandings. You will not understand this passage if you miss these three preliminary understandings. Ready? Three. Number one, sin is singular, 
not plural. And sin singular is the root of all sins, plural. Sin singular is the root of all sins, plural. The law of sin and death is another way of saying sin singular, the root of sins, plural. Just flip over to Romans 7, 25, please. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God, but on the other, with the flesh, the law of sin. So sin singular in Romans 6, 1 to 14, sin singular is the law of sin and death, the principle of sin and death. Romans 8, 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so the first preliminary understanding to understand Romans 6, 1 to 14, is that it's sin, singular, and that is the root of all sins, plural. And another synonym for sin, singular, is the law of sin or the law of sin and death. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas, and I serve as a youth pastor here at Calvary Bible Church. And today we want to start a new series talking about friendships and how we need friendships that are going to last and friendships that are going to be real. And this morning we want to talk about a godly friendship lets you be real. And we live in a world where we are designed for relationships. We want to have relationships with people, and we want to uh, know people and get to know them better. But the reality is that we have friends that are closer to us than other friends, people that we can trust, people we know that we can be real. And we live in a society today where we have social media where people are not real, where people only put out there what they want you to see, where they may be going through a tough time in life, but now because you know they, they post this picture that everything is great, but in reality they're going through so much behind the scenes. But we need to understand that today we want to talk about real relationships. We want to talk about those relationships that we have in Christ. And this morning we want to talk about a, a familiar passage of Scripture that we, we've heard and, and we know. And, but it's so true as we think of the woman at the well. And we think of, of Jesus' interaction. And we, we think of the, the whole context as the Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. But here it is in, in John chapter 4, verse 1, says, When Jesus learned that Pharisees had heard, he was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had been given his son Joseph. Jacob so was there when Jesus was worn out from his journey and sat down at the well. It was about noon. Verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Because the disciples had gone into the town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus asked, if you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. We see this interaction here as, as Jesus is talking to the woman of Samaria, and, and we see just the, the impact and how Jesus is, is making sure, hey, look, this is an interaction. And we need to understand the context. We need to understand 
just how women were not supposed to talk to men in those days like this and how she was by herself. And we see this interaction as it starts, and, and she's even wondering, well, what are you doing? Why are you talking to me, a woman? Why a Jew asking me for a drink? Verse 11 says this, Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep, so where do you get the living water? You are greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become well of a water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. And we see this is where the conversation is going to get real, and this is where we see these friendships, these real friendships come into play, and as people are, are talking and we see it so clearly as in verse 16 says this, Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. Again, Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen. As verse 17 said, I don't have a husband, she answered. And he says, You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. You see, we need to, again, look at this whole thing as Jesus is being real. And as Jesus is telling this woman, hey, I know you. I know what type of person you are. I know that, hey, you are living with someone right now that you're not even married to. And you already had five husbands. So Jesus is telling her, I know you. And he's being real with her. And she is sharing this as as she understands that, hey, this isn't just a normal person. This is someone I can be real with. And the reality is that there are people today that when we consider this and we consider how we are not real with people because we're scared of what's going to happen. Who are they going to tell? Are they, there, are they going to help me? Or are they just going to put me down? And we see this clearly that Jesus is there to help. He isn't there to try to point out our faults and, and, and not do anything about it. But he is understanding. He, he's, the, he's there for her. And verse 19 says, Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you Jews say the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Again, as we consider this, we notice how the scariest moment of her life, she becomes even more open to Jesus. And I, and I want to challenge you this morning as you consider your friendships, as you consider your relationships with people, do you have godly relationships like this? You see, Jesus was being real. And the woman understood that she could be real with him. The question is, are we being real with Jesus Christ? Are we honest with him? Because he already knows everything about us. You know, Jesus knew about her situation with the five husbands. And so he was just being real with her to say, hey, you can tell me. You can open up. She could have easily said, what are you talking about? But she recognized that this was not just a normal person. This was a true friend, a true friendship. Verse 21 says, Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. 
God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Here again, Jesus is opening up, and he's telling her, look, this is who I am. I am the one you're talking about. I am the true Savior. I am the Messiah. I am the one who is to come and to break down these barriers and these walls. You see, we need to look at this and we need to understand how Jesus went the extra mile with this lady. You see, Jesus knew a secret, but he pursued a relationship with her anyway. He wasn't scared of the messiness or brokenness. When things got real, Jesus didn't shame her, reject her, or get angry with her. Instead, he had a conversation with her, and he told her the best news she had ever heard, that he was her Messiah, the promised Savior, there to make wrong things right. You see, when we come into interactions and encounters like this, things happen. You see, she was changed by her encounter with Jesus, that she told her entire town about it. And Jesus gave her a place where she could be totally real and totally loved, and it changed her life. I ask you a question this morning as we wrap this up and as we pick up next week. I want to ask you, do you have real relationships? Do you have friendships, that godly friendship that you can trust people that can come alongside you and help you? Or are you afraid to talk to your, your family, talk to your friends? Because the reality is, as, as I consider this and as I close, I think of who wants to be a millionaire. And I think of, they call a friend on the lifeline. And that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about these lifelines that we have. And they call a friend who they think can help them during that, to answer that question so they could get money. But I actually, we have a lifeline in Jesus Christ that we can come to at any time. And we can talk to. And he has brought people in our lives to help us. So in close, I want to ask you, who is that person that you can trust? Who is that person that you can go to and talk to? And who is that person that you can be real with? This is Pastor Nicholas in another edition of Utah. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. These verses read, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one should boast. And then verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The question, what is the relationship between a believer's salvation and good works? Throughout the Bible, it's clearly taught that salvation is always by God's grace, through personal faith, 
based on blood, ultimately the blood of Christ. Paul highlights this great redemptive truth in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. Paul emphasizes in verse 8 that salvation is a grace gift, that is, it's free, which is appropriated through personal faith. Grace is the source of salvation, while faith is the channel through which it is effected. Yet even the faith to believe, insists Paul, is a gift of God. What is the relationship of this free gift to works? Paul makes it very clear in verse 9 that our salvation is not as a result of works. Nothing sinners could possibly do has the capacity to move them out of darkness into the light, out of death into life. Why did God provide salvation in this way? Verse 9 indicates that it prevents boasting. Since salvation is not earned or deserved, no one can boast that he or she has achieved it. Although we are saved completely by grace, works do show up in verse 10. While good works cannot save, according to verse 9, they do accompany salvation. See James chapter 2, verse 17. According to Paul, believers are God's workmanship, quote, created in Christ Jesus for good works, end of quote. Paul further explains that God has prepared for believers opportunities for good works in which to participate. Good works may be thought of as the fruit of genuine faith. When people become saved, they are also regenerated and begin the process of sanctification. This change in life produces a change in behavior that marks them by God's grace as a part of the redeemed community. We want to conclude this Echoes of Calvary broadcast with a Puritan prayer. The Puritan prayer, the mover, O supreme moving cause, may I always be subordinate to thee, be dependent upon thee, be found in the path where thou dost walk and where thy spirit moves. Take heed of estrangement from thee, of becoming insensible to thy love. Thou dost not move men like stones, but dost endue them with life, not to enable them to move without thee, but in submission to thee, the first mover. O Lord, I am astonished by the difference between my receivings and my deservings, between the state I am now in and my past gracelessness, between the heaven I am bound for and the hell I merit. Who made me to differ but thee? For I was no more ready to receive Christ than were others. I could not have begun to love thee hadst thou not first loved me, or been willing unless thou hadst first made me so. Oh, that such a crown should fit the head of such a sinner, such high advancement be for an unfruitful person, such joys for so vile a rebel. Infinite wisdom cast the design of salvation into the mold of purchase and freedom. Let wrath deserved be written on the door of hell, but the free gift of grace on the gate of heaven. I know that my sufferings are the result of my sinning, but in heaven both shall cease. Grant me to attain this haven and be done with sailing. And may the gales of thy mercy blow me safely into harbor. Let thy love draw me nearer to thyself. Wean me from sin. 
mortify me to this world and make me ready for my departure hence. Secure me by thy grace as I sail across this stormy sea. Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Today, our worship service begins at 10.30 a.m. in the sanctuary located at 62 Collins Avenue. We invite you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or write us at P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.